Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring... Well, welcome this week to the Work Friends Podcast. Uh, you may have noticed that my voice does not sound like Jen or Ainsley's voice. My name is Bart Eisen, and with me, I have Eric Klustra, who is a student at Bethel Christian Reformed Church, and uh, he's joining me on the podcast this week. We're actually going to be a part of a series in which um, Ainsley and Jen won't be on the podcast. We will be um, doing independent recordings with some of the guests that have been on the podcast. And so today we're going to be talking to Eric about what it's like uh, to discover your calling and to live out your faith uh, at his age at a, as a teenager. So Eric, tell us a bit about yourself. All right. So yeah, as Bart said, I'm a student. I go to Bethel CRC and uh, yeah, I'm planning on becoming a pastor. And so uh, throughout my high school career, that's been kind of something that I've been working towards and taking courses, hoping to prepare me for. Although going to a public uh, public high school, there isn't that many courses targeted towards that. But uh, some things about me are just I play drums, I play soccer, I'm uh, in the youth band at my church playing drums, and yeah, I just like to do stuff uh, that's like physically active and also able to glorify God. So what's it like being a teenager in this day and age, Eric? I think right now, especially like the biggest thing that there is hindering teenagers in this day and age is like the results of COVID because a lot of teenagers, what they like about their teenage years is their freedoms and that they can go out and hang out with their friends. But recently with COVID, it's been like all of that has been taken away and everyone still expects them to have this be the most fun years of their life. And so people kind of feel like that weighing on them, that they're not able to have that fun part of their life and they feel like it's just been robbed from them. And so then a lot of students like kind of just feel like, well, I don't know where to go from here because after this, I'm going to go and get a job and work and then I'm not going to have fun anyways. And so it's the people start to think like, well, I don't know where to go from here. And so then being a teenager in this day and age, that makes it really hard. And uh, But I think there is still some good areas of being a teenager right now. Like we're able to, in this day and age, have things that we can still connect with other teenagers and other people and even when we're at home in the lockdown over the past couple of years or whatever we're doing, we can still like go and learn stuff online or we can still like connect with our friends through social media and whatever. So I think some of that's been really good, but it's still been it's definitely been a change from how teenagers have been in the last like five years ago or so. Yeah, it's definitely been weird as a youth pastor to watch how youth have handled some of these things and to see the challenge that COVID brings. Because you're right, I think most teenage years are accompanied with like lots of friends, lots of like uh, going out, hanging out with people. You know, they're they're important in that season. Um, though I don't agree that it's like supposed to be the best season of their lives. There's definitely the idea in our culture that it should be right, and that it's for goofing off and having fun. And you know, and and the truth is, you're you're connections to people shifts from from parents and family being a priority to friendships and it's really the years of your life that in young adult years where you develop some of the friendships going forward right I guess a, a separate question I wanted to ask you about that Eric is what are some of the ways that students in your generation are coping with this COVID shift you, you know be they healthy or unhealthy ways that they're kind of coping with being a teenager during COVID 
So I know a lot of people who, like, aren't, like, it seems like either people turn to Jesus or turn away from Jesus. And so there's a lot of people that I know that aren't Christians. And so what they do is they'll turn to partying or drinking or some sort of thing like that, even as a teenager, which is super detrimental to them and their futures. But they don't even, like, it's just they don't even care because they just need to get through this COVID season and they need to cope. And then there's also the other way where people just turn to Jesus. And that's one thing that I've really been trying to do in this season is turn to Jesus because at the start of the pandemic, it's been like we have our hope in, we we could put our hope in the fact that it's just two weeks. And then after that, it's like, okay, just until the curve is flattened. And then, okay, just until we get vaccines. But as we, we have, have, like the government's been giving us these hopes that we can put our hope in. But the truth is, like, unless you put your hope in Jesus, all your hopes are going to be crushed when inevitably it all just goes downhill and just, like, tanks. Mm. Now, for you, you've you mentioned that you're, you know, you've you've tried to run to Jesus during this time, and I know that there's been ten times where that's not always been easy. Particularly in COVID, it's hard to have the energy to run to Jesus. Um, even though we've been given more time, I think the hopelessness weighs on that, right? But you said that's been part of your journey, trying to to run to Jesus. And so on that note, I want to ask you, and I know a bit of this answer, but tell us a little bit about your faith journey. How did you embrace faith? Where's your faith gone during the last number of years? How has your faith changed over the last little while? Just give us kind of a a helicopter view of your faith journey over over your life. Yeah, so to start off, it'll probably be similar to a lot of other people's. I uh, like I was born to Christian parents in a Christian household, and I grew up in Beth- at Bethel Christian Reformed Church, and uh, I just grew up with like people like Pastor Elf and Pastor Bart and Pastor Henry, like kind of teaching me and guiding me, as well as Sunday school teachers and whatever. But then I never really had my faith take form and I never really got to have a relationship with Jesus until grade nine. And in grade nine, that's when I started to like realize, okay, this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit actually physically does work in people's lives. And then like, I started to be like, okay, I can actually have a relationship with Jesus. And then like from there in throughout like my grade 10 and 11 years, when, uh, especially when COVID hit, it became more of like a it was harder to connect with God spiritually, but kind of through, like, I was able to spend a lot of time studying his word and studying, like, other aspects of, like, why the Bible is reliable and, like, why we, and, like, stuff like church history and stuff like that. And through that, I've kind of, like, grown closer to God because that's just, like, how my personality is. The more I'm able to kind of engage with head knowledge, I'm able to engage more spiritually and engage more with my soul so then kind of through like grade 10 and 11 I became a lot closer with God just from learning about him and then in turn growing in my relationship with him and then now in grade 12 I'm spending a lot of time kind of like in mentorship with Bart and uh, like working towards becoming a pastor and uh, preparing for university. Yeah, it's been really cool to watch that shift in your life, Eric. I know for myself, you know, seeing the transformation that's occurred in your life has been, has been like really, really powerful. Um, for someone your age to know what they're called to do is big, but also for someone your age to, to recognize that calling and to step into it 
in some really profound ways uh, has been really cool. You're one of the only students I've met who actually studied Hebrew for a while as a high schooler, and uh, and you've always asked some really deep and powerful theological questions and wrestled with lots of things. And there's two points I want to hit on in this conversation that I think are, are would be great for our listeners. Is is the first thing is is how to wrestle with calling. So we'll deal with that one first. And the second thing you kind of hinted at is um, how knowledge can actually encourage your relationship with Jesus. Now, there's often been this unhelpful dichotomy or separation between knowledge and your relationship with Jesus, but the two go hand in hand. So we'll talk about calling first and then move into that second question about how knowledge has built your faith. And so I kind of want to talk a bit about your calling. Um, I want you to kind of talk about how you felt the call to, to be a pastor and uh, I want you to kind of explain how discernment played a role in that. Yeah, okay. So, like, probably the best place to start would be, like, back near, like, early elementary school. I kind of had, like, a, just kind of a vision in my head. I would see, like, I would go to church and, like, I would see the pastors up on, like, the by the pulpit. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And, like, I would just, it would just caught my eye as something that was super cool and I don't know if you remember this part but uh in grade like six or so as a cadet I had a uh occupations badge that I was working towards and I had to go and interview a uh person in a job that I would be interested in and I actually interviewed you Bart as a youth pastor for a job that I would be interested in and then uh yeah from there into like grade seven and eight in my like uh more upper years of elementary school that kind of dissipated a little bit and I started to just like think more along the lines of something like an electrician or some sort of practical job or like not that uh, ministry isn't practical but more of like a physical job and then uh, and then in grade nine that's kind of like I mentioned earlier when I started to have my faith really take form at things like youth group and at uh, places like fall retreat that was and uh, winter retreat and AOIC. And then uh, at the end of grade nine, there was serve. And that was like the spiritual highlight of my life up until that point. I hadn't like I hadn't ever been on such a spiritual high as that. And one thing that I think happens a lot with uh, super spiritual highs is afterwards, there's a spiritual crash. And so that kind of thing happened after I came back from serve. It was the summer after grade nine. So the sum, the beginning of the summer, there was uh, serve. And then coming back from that, it was basically just like into normal summer life. And I got a job basically working almost full time as a 14 year old. And uh, so I started to do that. And at the start, I really enjoyed it. I was like, all right, this is great. And like the, through the entire summer, the work was great. And the person I was working for was great. But then I just started to feel unfulfilled in that. And I also had a lot of time that I could just uh, like think to myself, because I was doing a lot of jobs, like off somewhere on my own. And as I started like having as I was in this spiritual low, I started having these thoughts to myself, I was like, do you even have like that many friends, Eric? And then I started to think, like, I really don't have that many people that genuinely care for me. Like, I've got maybe, like, a couple friends at school that care for me, and that's about it. And then I started to think, like, wow, that's 
pretty insignificant. And then I started to feel like it started to, the circle kind of started to shrink. I was like, those couple friends that you have at school, do they even care for you? And then like, just from having these, being on the spiritual low and having all this time to think to myself, I started to have these thoughts creep into my head, like, maybe these people don't actually care for you. And maybe they're just like putting on a front. And then my brain would just cherry pick negative memories that I had from these people and it would play those over and over in my head till I started to realize like maybe these people don't even like me and then I started to be like does my family even like me and like with my family it's the kind of family where there's like some friendly banter going on and whatever and uh putting it mildly friendly banter yeah (laughs) yeah but uh so then it started to just like creep into my head like jeepers maybe my family's like my family and my parents Maybe they don't even like me. And then at the end of this, it was like the worst one of these, like of them all. It was like, I questioned with myself, does God even love me? And I knew like from everything I've heard in church and everything I've heard in youth group and everything I've read in the Bible, everyone's like, yeah, of course Jesus loves you. That's why he came and died for you. But like, I couldn't wrap my head around it. It was like, of course Jesus would like come and die for the sins of everyone, but there's no way that me as a person that Jesus would love me. And I started to think like I was constantly living in a life of sin. I wasn't doing anything to further God's kingdom. And I started to be like, well, what's the point of me even being here? If I'm just going to keep on sinning, keep abusing God's grace, keep abusing the sacrifice that Jesus had. And I'm not going to actually like yield fruit because I'm just here working kind of off all by myself somewhere. And I'm not, like, furthering God's kingdom. I'm not discipling anyone. I'm not bringing people to Jesus. I'm not doing anything like that. And so then I spiraled. I was like, I can't, like, if I'm going to live like this somewhere, working for 40 years with living in a life of sin, and I'm not going to provide anything to God's kingdom, then my life is going to be worthless, and it better just end now if that's the case. And then kind of in that place... Jesus came to me and he was like, no, that's not what's going to happen. You're going to have your life like dedicated to ministry and you're going to like be a pastor and you're going to like disciple people. You're going to go and share the gospel with people. That's what I have for your life. And so kind of like through that negative season where I was like questioning, like, what's the point of even living anymore? Does God even love me? It like uh, God spoke to me at my darkest point and said, yeah, I have a uh, reason for you being here. You're going to go and serve me as a pastor. Hmm. So there's a few things that stick out to me in that conversation, and we've, and we've talked about that a few times, but um, it seems that, you know, God often speaks the loudest in your lowest moments, right? And in many ways, the brokenness that we experience in life and the pain we experience in life, it's not God's desire that we experience that, but that he makes something good out of it. And often when he's broken away, the allures of the world and the the things in life that that don't have meaning, he's able to speak to us in a place that we're ready to hear it. Because I imagine that pre that that summer, you wouldn't have been ready to hear the calling that God on your God had in your life, and your experience of like the the brokenness in that job is not to say anything negative about that job. Some people have that calling from God and find it fulfilling, right? But God was speaking to you that, hey, this isn't going to give you fulfillment. I've designed you to be in professional ministry, to minister on some level, and you will only find fulfillment there. 
And and so you're, if I'm right in saying this, your experience was that you couldn't find fulfillment in anything else besides a ministry calling because God designed you for that. Now, I would say there's a lot of people I've met in my life that are like this, that I know, you know, I've just sensed by the Spirit that they have a ministry calling. And they go from job to job to job, totally unfulfilled, totally um, not finding any satisfaction in the jobs that they're in because God placed a certain, you know, hole in their lives beyond just a, a hole that, that needs to be filled by God's grace and mercy, but a, but a vocational hole, and they're called for ministry and may, in fact, be running from that call. And so for you, you you'd say you experienced a bit of this. You were, you're working, and not that the job itself is bad, but God started to make it clear to you, this isn't going to give you fulfillment because I've designed you to find fulfillment in a different calling. Is that about right? Yeah, the job was great. The work was fun and whatever and like I learned a lot from the guy that I was working for but like it was just one of those things like most people if they were doing that job they would think holy smokes this is amazing and I thought so too but it was just one of those things like I realized it was it taught me that if I'm going to be working just like a labor job for the next 40 50 years of my life it was going to be like I wasn't going to be able to fill this hole that you mentioned in my life so yeah, and that's not to say that everybody has that hole, but that, you know, God calls you to a certain arena, whether that's farming or agriculture or ministry, paid ministry, and he's designed you to do that for his glory. And uh, I had a similar experience growing up, you know that, right? Landscaping, I loved it with my brothers, it was fun, but, uh, you know, partway through the summer I started to think, hey, I'm not finding fulfillment in this, I don't think I could do a career in this, right? And, and God uses that to say, hey, maybe you need to go in a different direction. It's not on here, but I, I do want to ask, you know, for you, um, what have been some things that, that have affirmed that call since that summer? Um, so, like, yeah, there's been a lot of stuff. A lot of, like, uh, my just conversations with you as a mentor have kind of shaped me and made me, like, yeah, this is definitely what God placed on my life. And then also kind of as I've this will kind of touch into the uh, next thing that we're going to talk about but as I've studied and learned more about God it just feels like it just feels right it feels like a puzzle piece clicking into the right place it's like this is what uh, it's like this is what my uh, calling is it's what I was designed for Mm -hmm. so as I just like keep uh, studying the word as I like you said I studied Hebrew I just like uh, learned a little bit about Hebrew on my own time as I do these things it's like God just says to me this is so right for you to be doing this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's it's amazing I, I can say this you know I'm in I'm in professional ministry and I definitely didn't study Hebrew as a teenager I don't even I'm not even sure if I was even starting to study theology at your age so to see God doing that work early in your life kind of prepares you for a long life of service and ministry um and, and that's a really rewarding thing to, to be able to watch for me and to see God work in that. Um, and I would say, you know, the the clicking piece, the, there's there's a level of trust in you too, right? Where, where you know, anybody who's, who's listening to this and wrestling with calling, you know, it's good to wrestle with calling and to ask questions about it. But I do sense, particularly among your generation, if I'm, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, that this uncertainty about calling and and the rationale for calling and, you know, for some people, it's motivated by money. Some people, it's motivated by, by uh, you know, prestige. You know, uh, other people genuinely want to please God in their calling, and they can't figure it out. But there's uh, evidence in your story, you know, that God will make it clear through the different experiences in your life what your calling is, and that you don't need to, to labor so hard to try and figure that out. God, 
in his timing, if you're seeking his voice, will make that clear. That, that it's not meant to be a decision made uh, out of anxiety or frustration or out of, out of human ideals of what's good for a career, but that God, God brings clarity to questions of calling and that he uses life experience to do that. Would you, you agree with that? Yeah. One thing I think right now among teenagers, there's a big misconception among Christian teenagers that like your calling is something that's like God's got written in stone and he just kind of isn't necessarily showing you. Like people think that their calling is like God writ somewhere on a stone tablet that uh, you're going to be a farmer or you're going to be a truck driver or you're going to be a doctor or whatever and people are like well I don't want to pick the wrong thing and pick something that uh, God hasn't called me to a lot of cases people are like God's like okay with whatever you're going to do like whatever you choose God's going to use you in that place to bless the people around you and uh, give him glory it frustrates teenagers when I say this but sometimes God gives you a choice and he's pleased with whatever choice you make uh, cause we want to be told outright, God, this is, this is what you got to do with your life. But sometimes that process of choosing a career and, and exploring that is, is a way that God teaches you things to prepare you for whatever's next. And that there's a, a, a beauty in that journey. And I always tell this too, when you go to school and you're picking a college or university, um, go in a career that, that, um, you know, choose a career that, that is fun for you to do like a, uh, an area of study that you like learning about. And even if you don't end up in a career in that area of study, some way in life, it will be connected, right? So I have a, another student that I'm mentoring, um, and he, he works here at Youth for Christ, Cole Brewbreaker. And he he was, you know, he's struggling with calling, and I don't want to share too much of his story, but he's obviously gifted with people. And so a, uh, any kind of degree or, or program that, that emphasizes social work would be good for him regardless of where he ends up because he'll use those gifts somewhere, right? Um, that's kind of the rhetoric around calling. And I think calling is really important, but allow God to, to bring you through the process and just be at peace that he is bringing you through the process and that whatever you decide to do, he's often making good out of even the poorest decisions. Uh, he's not, you know, a vindictive God that says, uh-oh, you screwed up your calling, you're done, I'm not using you anymore. That's not how he operates. He's full of grace and mercy. To moving on to the next thing, I, I love this conversation. As someone who is a little bit of a, um, a theolo- theology nerd sometimes, I love uh, the idea that, that knowledge and relationship are tied together. And uh, I grew up with this unhelpful, unhelpful dichotomy. Um, I grew up Christian Reformed and then went Pentecostal. And, and the, the two views on the, t- on the subject were pretty fun. I, you know, and, and this is just my perception of it as a teenager. But a lot of, of the charismatic people would say, you, you know, you don't need to be super nerdy or have all the right theological doctrines. You just need to be dependent on the spirit and engage God emotionally, which I 100% agree with. And the reform camp would say, hey, you know, you, your experiences could, are pretty subjective. You've got to have a theological foundation and you've got to know what you're talking about. And um, both have beauty and both actually elevate each other. So let's dive in a little bit into that. How's the process of learning and studying scripture um, looked for you? Eric, and, and how has it deepened your relationship with God? So, yeah, I really started to, like, dive more into uh, my faith in grade, especially, like, I got a lot more into it in grade 9, but then especially in grade 10 after I started to, like, have this calling. And uh, so I started to, like, at kind of at the start of it, I picked a one-year Bible reading plan, and that was, like, the first time I read through the Bible as a whole. And that's something that, like, 
speaking to all teenagers out there. If you haven't read the entire Bible all the way through, I would definitely recommend it, even if it's like over a two-year span or so. Just like uh, it's only if you're gonna like read the entire Bible in a year, it's roughly like three chapters a day, which seems like a lot, but it's actually not that much because it just takes like takes roughly like ten minutes a day to do. And uh, yeah, it's something that like definitely helps you understand your faith. It definitely helps you understand the Christian position on a lot of topics and you'll be able to like engage God more actively. And uh, so then, yeah, once I did that, I started to like, there was all these books like Ecclesiastes that I'd never read before and they provided so much meaning in my life and so much like different perspectives in my faith that I could now grasp onto and grow with if i can interrupt there i remember when you were doing that and i remember like every other week or every week you'd come with a barrage of questions about certain texts that you read right to try and understand some of them yeah yeah there was a lot of stuff that like just like as a young high schooler i just didn't understand and so like even like what's good if you're going through is to have someone like I had Bart to that you can ask questions to like whether it's your parents or a pastor at your church or a youth leader or an older sibling to someone who's like further ahead than you are in life who has read the bible through a number of times and you can just ask a bunch of questions to because there is definitely a lot of stuff that like is tough to understand in the bible but once you can read through it and get a better understanding of it you'll grow in your relationship so much with God and like I kind of touched on uh, this next part that I'm going to talk about earlier when I talked about like my calling feeling reassured but as I kept like uh, I did I read the Bible through again the next year with uh, the entire way through the Bible but this time in chronological order and I started to like learn more about stuff and about the times and about the cultures this way and as I was learning this stuff it really helped me to understand the way God works and the way that God has like interacted with his people and uh, stuff like that. So then that's really helped me grow in my relationship with God. But then one thing that uh, studying scripture has helped me to grow in my relationship with God with is like three quarters of the Bible is old Testament and then one quarter is new Testament. And so the entire time when I was reading through, like both the first and second time when I read through the Bible, I, uh, in the entire way, it was like, you were just like, it kept building and building. And then like, he gets to David and you're like, okay, this is like, this has got to be like, kind of like the climax. And then David goes and he screws up and stuff and then he dies. And it's like, okay, so now what? And you just kind of feel unresolved. It's like anticlimactic until then you start to realize the climax of the Bible is when Jesus comes and he restores Israel to what it's supposed to be. And it's, you kind of start to feel in the Israelites' shoes of, okay, so Jesus isn't coming as this, like, uh, ruler who's going to free Israel from Rome or whatever. You start to realize, like, wow, Jesus coming as this, like, uh, leader who's going to save them from their sins it's so powerful when you can understand it in the entire context of it and so that really helped me to like understand more the significance of Jesus saving me and like what I've been saved from Mm. yeah you'd stumble on a really interesting point there Eric I mean 
they, there's a tendency among Christians to, to focus on New Testament passages. And I think the reason for that is we want stuff that's practical and practical and applicable to today. And, and we often read the Bible for little tidbits of, of information for us. But uh, I do believe, you know, we heavily miss out on an understanding of who Jesus is if we don't understand the, and I'm going to use some nerdy terms here, the, 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 the German would be sits in Laban, or, but the, the cultural milieu that Jesus is birthed in, you know, the, the environment that he comes into and the foundation that, that prepares the world for his arrival, right? And, and you've got to know it, Jesus was a Jew. And Jesus um, is entering a world in, in which there is no Christianity, there's Judaism, and he's the natural result of that Judaism. And so it's really important to study the whole thing. And, and it actually, you know, if you get a good foundation of the Old Testament, your understanding of the New Testament is open. Do you have that experience? Yeah, for sure. Like a lot of, I realized with like people like the judges and King David and uh, King Josiah, they're like, a lot of what Israel focuses on is sort of military conquest and uh, trying to like be a physical nation where they can have power. But then uh, when Jesus comes, it's like what they were all pointing to. But uh, it kind of shows how like he does it right and you don't actually need to have this military conquest in order to like serve God. Yeah, it, it, the Old Testament kind of demonstrates that the physical realities of being the people of God are secondary to the spiritual realities of being people of God, that the heart matters, right? And that that's crucial or central. And we even in youth group years ago did a study on the on the uh, Apocrypha. I don't know, were you in youth yeah, group at that point? Yeah, I was in youth group at that point. And uh, we did that, which is not a really reformed thing to do, but those are the books between the Old and New Testament that the Catholic Bible has. And even those were helpful, right, in understanding the cultural context that Jesus is in. And it probably helps you understand who Jesus is better and deepen your relationship. Talk about how your understanding deepened your your relationship with Jesus. Yeah, so once I was un- able to understand that, like, Jesus is what the entire Bible before him and after him points to, it starts to realize, like, how significant what he did for us is. Like, even if you just read the four Gospels, you can understand how significant Jesus dying for our sins is. And if you understand, like, how, like, the Ten Commandments and understand that we're all sinful and that we deserve to be separated from God and you understand that and then you understand that Jesus saved you from your sins, that's powerful in itself. But when you understand all the significance and history behind and after what Jesus did, then you just, like, uh, understand so much more like what Jesus has saved you from, and uh, it's just so much more real. There's like a huge power to 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 what Jesus has done that's broader when you understand the, the scope of history, right? When you recognize that all of these Old Testament books are pointing at a need for a Savior, at an external power that can rescue the people, i.e. God. And then, you know, you, you mentioned this, but early church history is really eye-opening too in our understanding of Jesus. Like, how, how in, insane is it that one person who comes to earth that every single religion on this earth believes this person existed. Now, of course, there's question as to whether or not Jesus was God. That's the question. But he made such an impact that even Muslims and Buddhists and Jews believe he existed. Even atheists would believe he existed. Now, they would say he's a man or a prophet or whatever else. But the point is, he made such a splash and had such a powerful impact that, that um, you know, understanding him in the scope of history and understanding him in the scope of the Old Testament makes that very clear. And it's probably deepened your appreciation for how powerful 
and profound he is. So what, like you're, you're really passionate about this, Eric. I know this about you. Your knowledge of God and your passion for Jesus in a relational way has also made you want to share that knowledge and that passion and that love of Jesus with other people. You want other people to experience what you've experienced in Jesus. So I want you to talk a little bit about your experience with Jesus and then and then how that spilled into your desire to share the gospel. Yeah, so it kind of came from when I was like feeling like I need to, like my life would be like void if I didn't have like fruits pointing towards God's kingdom. And so that kind of fueled a fire in me to have other people come to know Jesus and other people come to experience Jesus' sal- salvation. But uh what really drives it is like I just love people and I don't want them to end up in hell. And I feel like a lot of people they have negative experiences of church because they've gone with their parents till they were in grade four or whatever and they've had like they just kinda sat there and they heard a forty or fifty, sixty year old person speak for half an hour about stuff that they didn't understand. And so then they just have a picture of church in their mind as something that's boring. But I feel like a lot of people don't know what church actually is. They don't know what the Christian faith actually is. And I can see this, like, just from what people talk about heaven and hell. They're like, if you're good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell. And the truth is way more sinister if you think about it. It can be good or bad in human eyes. You're going, you deserve hell because no one can measure up in what, uh, no one can measure up to the standard that Jesus set and uh, the standard that God holds for us. And so, like, I don't want people to have this idea in their head that I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven, and then not go to heaven. And so, like, I just genuinely want people to, like, know the truth and then make an e- make a educated decision that uh, I'm going to either, I'm going to accept or reject Jesus, but I don't want people to be left out in the cold that uh, they don't, like they just didn't know the truth about Jesus. And so that kind of leads me to want to uh, share the gospel with people. And then people like uh, one guy I found on, uh, I saw him on Instagram first, is Ray Comfort. He just goes out and uh, shares the gospel with random people on the street. He's got like probably hundreds of like uh, 15, 20 minute videos on YouTube or on Instagram. And uh he just has like a kind of a format that he kind of goes through usually and he explains the gospel in like simple terms to people. He tells them like, he basically just has a conversation with them and like uh, asks them what their views are on heaven and hell. He asks them if they think they're a good person and then he asks them if they've like, if they've ever lied, if they've ever stolen, if they've ever like looked at a person with lust and then he and like most people he has a conversation with end up saying that like wow i'm doomed to hell i need something to save me and so like that's that's something that like really made me like kind of understand more how to share the gospel with people because if you just tell someone you're going to hell you need jesus they're going to be like well that's stupid i don't want to believe that but if you can get them to understand wow i'm doomed to hell then that'll maybe like in a lot of instances, make them be like, okay, I need Jesus. Right, and and so you mentioned that, that it could be the, the gospel on some level could be more sinister than that, and I, I think that, that some clarifications should be applied there, that 
it is true that not, you know Romans says this. Romans six twenty three and Romans three twenty three say that all have sinned and uh, fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans three twenty three says, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life." So if you've sinned once, you're deserving of death of hell, right? And uh, we can say, well, that's that's kind of crass on God's part, and it would be it would be perfectly just because we've denied what He's asked us to do, but. On the flip side, what's really equally as scandalous, probably more scandalous about the gospel, is the fact that God comes down and pays our punishment. That makes the gospel more powerful. If God's coming down to save good people, that's less exciting. If we know we're broken and we need saving and we know we're hopeless without God, how profound and powerful is God saving then? And Ray Comfort, you may not agree with his style. I know a lot of people don't. And in fact, I personally don't agree with, with some of his style. But one of the beautiful things that he does is he makes people recognize, look, you need saving. You, you, you are profoundly in need of saving and a powerful saving at that. And I think that's a beautiful message. And you, you stumble upon this in our society, this, this idea that you know, our good deeds can outweigh our bad. And if we're generally good, we're, we're worthy of heaven. But that's not the case because our good deeds, according to Isaiah, are filthy rags to God. And uh, we need a radical saving because we don't even know how depraved and sinful we are because we're so tainted by sin. We can't even see our own brokenness sometimes. So that's good. That's a good, um, you know, that's a a passion for you is to share because you want people to have the right understanding and know about the radical rescue that they can have in God. How do you, how do you encourage people to start having a conversation about evangelism? Mm, Well, first it's just like the first step I would say is, kind of ties back a little bit it's to understand the gospel understand like what jesus salvation is and once you understand that for yourself and once you truly understand what you've been saved from then you'll be easier able to share the gospel with people and you'll also have more of a passion to share the gospel with other people and also from there i'd say like just be open about your faith and like allow people to know that you're a Christian and see like like that this person doesn't act the same because they're a Christian and then from there people will often ask questions like why don't you swear why don't you like go out and party with us and you can be like because I like you can tell them that you don't find the uh like that you've got something better to live for than the uh, simple pleasures of the flesh and you can like share the gospel with them just from uh like being open about your faith Mm-hmm. I really like what you said there. You know, y- you have to fall in love with Jesus for you to want to share Jesus. A, a sign that you're that you're not deeply in love or don't feel profoundly rescued by Jesus is if you don't want to share it with people. Because if you feel profoundly rescued, that you know your own brokenness and you know what you're saved from, and you feel in love with Jesus, it's going to spill out of your every pore. You're going to want to share Jesus with anybody who'll listen. And you're going to want to talk about Jesus and point people to Jesus. And I like the openness too, right? There's this this idea that you know some Christians have that they need to be combative or that they just need to argue people into heaven. But um, it's important to be open and just be available and have relationships with non-Christians, right? I'm not one of those classic youth pastors that says you, you, you can only have Christian friends. You need Christian friends to build up your faith and to be a support to you. God's designed the church that way. But you should have friends that aren't Christian to witness to you because you're to be in the world but not of it, right? So that's really good that you kind of stumbled on that. Okay, Eric, we're, we're nearing the end of this interview. Uh, I got another question for you. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? So this kind of ties into uh, when we talked about calling and stuff, but uh, it's from the guy that I was working for over that summer. He said to me, uh, the question isn't as much 
what do you want to do? It's who do you want to be? And so that kind of, that kind of stuck with me. It's like, you don't have to, the you, you can change your career throughout your life. You can maybe be like a truck driver for the first 15 years of your life and then go be a mechanic f- for like the next half of your life. You, like what you do can change. But what if you like, as a teenager, as you're growing up, one thing that you want to set in stone is your character and set in stone who you are. And so that's something that's uh, really stuck with me. Oh, that's a beautiful piece of advice. Beautiful. Because so much of what we do comes from character. Um, b- being gifted is good, but if it's not rooted in character, it, will take you, it won't take you very far. Um, and, and the thing to know about character is it's little decisions that lead to, to either great success or great brokenness, right? Uh, little decisions slide one way or the other, and a way to develop character is to be rooted in God and trust Him and to make the right decisions in the moment. I uh, just really appreciate what you've shared, Eric. It's some pretty profound, deep thoughts, some pretty wise thoughts for someone of your age, and I hope and pray that the Spirit continues to work through you and in you and uh, that you continue to point other people to Christ. For those of you listening to this conversation, uh, I hope and pray this is an encouragement to you and uh, that you've learned a little bit about, about Eric, and, uh, and, but more importantly, that you've learned a bit about who Jesus is and how he operates. Uh, and I do want to encourage anybody listening to continue listening to Work Friends podcasts. They are awesome. Uh, Ainsley and Jen are friends of mine. I'm a little biased. I acknowledge that. But um, they're really seeking to encourage people's faith and uh, encourage them in their walk with Jesus. And I think it's a, a beautiful thing to, to be a part of that and to listen to that. I hope that you have an excellent week. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations like this coming up that you will not want to miss. So make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're using. And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Just Work Friends if you so desire. And if you're enjoying, feel free to give us a review so we know what you guys are enjoying. So until next time, see you later. Bye. <laughs> Ainsley. Ainsley. How great would it be if they left that on there? <laughs>